You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. And turn to Matthew, uh, Matthew 14. Matthew 14. I want to thank uh, Pastor Jet for just for the opportunity um, to preach today, Amen. and I do not take it lightly, not, do not take it lightly at all. Matthew 14, we're going to start in verse 22 and read down all the way uh, to verse 29, Matthew 14. It says this, verse 22, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto, unto the other side, and to go while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But when the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. Verse 27 says, But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. You may be seated. So I remember uh, when my younger brother was learning how to swim uh, when he was about three to four years old, and I remember when it was the first couple times, you know, when my dad was taking him uh, down to the water, teach him, teaching him how to get his face wet, teaching him how to put his face under the water. And, you know, one of the things that my dad always had us to do while he was kind of teaching us how to swim um, was to jump in the pool freely without any help. And, you know, my brother, being three to four years old, um, loved jumping into the pool, um, even though he didn't know how, to, know how to swim at the time. And whether it was at the three feet zone or all the way at the deep end at the five feet zone, um, he loved jumping into the pool as long as he knew as my, that my dad was there waiting at the bottom, you know, with his arms wide open, ready to catch him. And uh, even though he don't, my brother didn't know how to swim at the time, he knew that if dad was there at the bottom, he wouldn't let him drown. And you could say that my brother was able to jump uh, to, into the deep end of the water without the fear of drowning because he loved my dad and he had enough trust in my dad uh, that he wouldn't let him drown. And he knew that my dad loved him and wouldn't do anything to harm him. Yes. And because of that, you could say that my brother had the faith you know, to jump into the water because he knew, he knew who my dad was. He had faith. Right. You know, Warren Risby desp- uh, defines faith as surrendering all to God and obeying his word in spite of circumstances and consequences. Amen. You know, love and faith go together. You know, when you have someone, when you love someone, you, you begin to trust them, trust them more and more. And we're here in Matthew 14. Um, we're on a boat. We're crossing the Sea of Galilee. And after witnessing the feeding of the 5,000, and the disciples find themselves uh, fearing for their lives uh, because of this huge storm that they're in. And to add to that fear, they even think they see a ghost, which happens to be Jesus walking on the water. And we all know this story well if you've been in church that, you know, Peter 
um, one of the 12 disciples is the only one that has enough faith um, to come and walk out on the water to Jesus. And you know, we know the story very well, but, and we often condemn Peter as he's following Jesus, as he takes his eyes um, off Jesus and he begins to sink. But you know, even though we condemn Peter, we should give him at least some credit, you know? I think we should give him a lot of credit, actually. You know, at least Peter got out of the boat. You know, the rest of the disciples did not get out of the boat. So the question I want to ask you today is, and the question that we want to answer, you know, by the end of tonight is, why was Peter able to walk out um, onto the water and nobody else? And the, the first part we want to focus on is, you know, why did the rest of the 11 disciples why did they stay on the boat? You know, why was it only Peter who stepped on, on out of the boat? Here's two reasons why I think the disciples stayed out, stayed on the boat. Number one, it was stormy. You know, verse 24, it said, uh, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves. Tossed uh, simply means the, the word is defined as to torture. And then it says, for the wind was contrary. And the contrary simply means antagonistic. So imagine an, an antagonistic, torturing wind and wave. That's pretty scary. Yes. And secondly, it was the fourth watch of the night, verse 25. And the fourth watch of the night simply meant, you know, anywhere from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So in the, in the dark of the night, in the middle of the night when people were tired. And in addition to that, you know, they were afraid because, you know, they saw, they thought they saw a ghost. And that's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. You know, the disciples stay on the boat, you know, number one, because they're afraid. And number two, um, they stay on the boat, you know, simply because they have a boat. You know, it's pretty simple. You know, if you have a boat on the water and you're in the boat, you stay in the boat, right? Um, you know, if you have some common sense, um, you should know that safety is in the boat. You know, and if you get out of the boat, you step out of the boat, you might die, right? And, you know, as Peter asked Jesus to come out on the boat, you know, and Jesus invited them, I can only imagine, you know, not only did Jesus say, hey, Peter, come out and come up to me, but he said to the other disciples, hey, Peter, James, John, you, you guys should come out too. And I can imagine, you know, the other disciples as Peter is uh, making his way out of the boat, he, they're saying, no, uh, you know, Jesus, we're good in the boat. You know, the boat's keeping us safe. The boat's keeping us dry, you know. We, we don't, we're not, we're not going out of the boat. And, you know, the boat was real to the disciples. The boat was a physical, literal boat that they were standing on and trusting in. And, but however, the boat in our situation, it, it's, it's not a real boat. The boat for you, you know, the boat for me, the boat represents safety. The bro this boat represents comfort. It represents security. You know, it's hard to leave the boat because we're afraid. And, you know, when fear takes hold of our lives, we usually turn to something that makes us feel safe even if it's not God. So let me ask you an important question. You know, what, what, what is your boat? You know, what, what are you holding on to that is preventing God from using you? You know, we see Peter was able to walk on the water because he got out of the boat. You know, he left what gave him security and he left what he was comfortable with. You know, prior to this, the disciples have witnessed, witnessed uh, many of Jesus' miracles performed um, and performed, them many of them, performed many of them themselves. Yeah. You know, they witnessed uh, the healing of the leper in chapter, of eight, chapter 8. They witnessed, you know, the centurion's faith and the healing of his servant, also in chapter 8, verse 5. The calming of the sea, 
chapter 8, verse 23, the healing of the demon-possessed man and then casting legion into the swine. Um, chapter 8, verse 28, the healing of man with palsy and his friends that had faith. Chapter 9, they've witnessed the healing of the ruler's daughter. Chapter 9, verse 18. And then in chapter 10, verse 1, you know, Jesus gives the disciples power to cast out demons and power to heal the sick. And then we come up to chapter 14, uh, before where we're at in the passage, the feeding of the 5,000. You know, so Peter witnessed the works and miracles of Jesus, and I believe that as he continued to witness uh, these works and spend time with Jesus, his love for Christ and his love for who he was grew greater and greater and greater. We can see Peter's love for Christ, you know, in verse 28 when he says, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Notice that Peter did not say, you know, bid me to come walk on the water. He said, bid me to come to thee. In other words, Peter said, if, Lord, if it's really you, and since in verse 27 he says, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Peter's basically saying, Lord, since it's you, you know, let me come to you no matter what. And just like Warren Wiersbe's, you know, quote is that it's faith, what Peter had was surrendering all to God and obeying his word in spite of circumstances and consequences. You know, Peter was willing to go to Jesus no matter what. And Jesus granted that request. Um, he could have granted it anyway. He could have granted it, him flying over to Jesus, but he granted it by Peter walking on water. Yeah. And, you know, whether when it came to Peter's turn for putting his faith in Christ, Peter went all in, you know, after witnessing the hundreds of lives changed um, as a result of their faith and the power of Christ working in their lives. You know, if the centurion's faith, uh, centurion's servant was being, was uh, able to be healed because of his master's faith, you know, the lame man was, be, was able to walk because of his four friends' faith. Um, the woman with the issue of blood uh, was able to be healed because of her faith that she, if she believed that, if she touched the garment of Jesus, that she would be healed if um, that worked for her, then no doubt Peter knew that um, Jesus, you know, the creator, all-powerful God, almighty, almighty God, the creator, would be able to make Peter walk and come, walk on the water and come to Jesus. And Peter recognized that there were two things that um, Jesus's, all of Jesus' miracles had in common, and that were the people's faith and the power of God. So we asked, why, why was Peter able to walk on the water? And the answer to that is, you know, Peter was able to walk on the water because he got out of the boat. He first got out of the boat. Amen. And second, he had, the, he had faith in who Jesus was and, right. and in his power. Right. You know, so in order um, for us to be used by God, you know, we need to take the initiative, you know, to step out in faith and trust God. Right. And we can accomplish this um, by trusting in the power of God and knowing who God is, knowing who Jesus Christ is. And you're saying, how, how does this apply um, to us today? And probably the first thing that comes to my mind that I struggle with the most is witnessing and soul winning. I know it's this past week, it's been a big, um, even the past two weeks, past month that Pastor Jet's been preaching on, you know, relating, creating, convicting and revealing has been a big help, you know, in witnessing and soul winning. And maybe God's been speaking to you about um, being a better soul winner. Yeah. And, you know, God wants you to get out of that comfort zone, out of your comfort zone, and invite that coworker, 
that you see every single day. Invite that family member that you know is unsafe to church. You know, even maybe an opportunity to witness to them. And even if it's simply handing to the track to the cashier that you see every day, or the people that you see um, at work or the restaurants that you go to. You know, that boat for you, when it comes to witnessing and soul winning, could be, you know, your reputation. You feel that comfort and safety of keeping your reputation at work, keeping your reputation at the fam um, in your family. Right. You know, what people think of you, or simply not even knowing what to say. You know, maybe God wants you to step out, step out of that boat of your reputation and what you're holding on to, and God wants you to step out on that by faith. Yeah. You know, maybe it's, um, maybe you're here today and maybe you're tight on finances, and you know uh, that God wants you to increase um, your giving to missions. And you know, oftentimes when our finances get tight, our tithe and our uh, giving to faith promised missions are the first to go. And maybe God wants you to, you know, step out, step out by faith and trust him and give more to missions. And maybe, maybe it's the call to full-time ministry. You know, maybe it's called the call to full-time Christian service, whether to be to preach or to go into missions or to go into church paneling. Maybe God wants you to step out and trust him by faith and step out in that area. Or maybe here, lastly, um, and you're here and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior. And this is the first and most important step of faith that every person needs to take during this life. And you know, you can take this step with full confidence because God promises to save those who puts their faith and trust in him. So just a couple questions um, tonight. You know, what areas in your life do you need to surrender to God? You know, during my time at Heartland, God knew that I needed to surrender to him. Every single part of my life surrendered to him. What part of area um, do you need to surrender to God in your life? And in what areas of your life do you need to take the initiative to take a step of faith in? You know, God is wanting and he is willing to work in your life only if we take that first step. And I know we could go around the room and people could give countless stories and testimonies of um, how God has worked in their life and because of that, that they can trust God in the future. But maybe you're here today and you're saying, maybe I haven't seen God work. In, in my life. I haven't seen God, you know, do these miraculous things. So how, how can I know that God will provide for me in the future or work in that future? Well, the first step is already complete. You're here at Eastside Baptist Church and God's um, been working here. And you're like, how has God been working? If you just take, for example, this past week at the youth rally, you know, one soul got saved. And that just shows that God is continuing to work in the lives of even the teens here at youth at Eastside Baptist Church. So, just lastly, in order, you know, in order for us to be used by God, we need to step out of our comfort zone and have faith in who God is. Uh, turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be reading from verses 15 through 17. I'm not going to ask you to stand, but uh, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. Uh, it says here, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 
Now, I read this story once. Uh, there was a pastor, and on a Saturday morning, he was, he was trying to prepare his sermon for Sunday. And uh, it was a rainy day, and he was facing the most difficult condition because his son was home, and he had nothing to do. So finally, in desperation, the pastor grabbed an old magazine, and, and he flipped through, and he found a page. It showed the map of the world. So he tore the page from the magazine, ripped it into little pieces, and scattered it all over the living room floor. And he said, son, if you can put this together, I'll give you a dollar. Now, I want to pause right here. I do not know any kid that will do anything for less than $20 nowadays. <laughs> I don't know what time this happened, but uh, he did it. I think nowadays they account for inflation and everything. But uh, anyway, the pastor hoped that this might take his son most of the morning, but 10 minutes later, he came to the study and, and handed him the paper. And he was amazed that his son finished it so soon, so he asked him, how did you get this done so fast? And the boy said, uh, it was easy. On the other side, there was a picture of a man. I just put together the picture of the man, and it just put the world right in place. So the pastor said this, not only have you earned that dollar, but you've given me my sermon for tomorrow. If a man is right, his world will be right. Now this type of last minute sermon preparation is not what they teach us in Bible college. But what the child said was right. If we as men have our heart right in the right place, then our world will also be right. So if we come to the passage and we read a couple verses up, we see that Apostle John, he's, he's addressing the young men, he's addressing the fathers, and he's addressing the children and about their assurance and trust in God. And I, and I believe that here he's not referring to their physical age, as in how old they were, but he's referring to their spiritual age. He's pretty much saying it doesn't matter where you are in your walk with God, as long as you are saved, you are always saved. You know, there was, a, there was a split that happened during this time, and many people, they went away in their doctrines and their beliefs. And that's who, who uh, John is talking about in these passages and, and warning the church here. And he's saying, you don't have to worry about your assurance and salvation because God has told you that you can have that assurance and, and you will not lose it. So he's, he's talking to the Christians in different stages in their, in their beliefs. And in verse 15, where we come to the passage, he's telling them to stay away from living according to the world. Yeah. You know, the word world, if we look at it, it's the world, uh, word cosmos. And it has three different meanings. The first meaning is the created world, which is nature and everything in it. And the second meaning is the world as in humans or humanity. But the third meaning is the culture of the ungodly. And John is talking about the last one. He's warning the children not to love the world or the things within it. Not to be conformed to the ways of the ungodly. That's what he's saying when he says, abide not in the world. But in the latter part of the verse, he tells them the reason as to why they should not love the world. Because if we read, it says, if any man love the world... The love of the Father is not in him. And John is pretty much explaining how if you, if a person loves the world, he's losing 
their love for the Father. Now, we need to be careful how we understand and interpret this verse because John is not saying that we lose the love from the Father. Because there are several verses if we read, especially John 3.16, where he says, God so loved the world. God will always love you, no matter what. But rather, this means that we lose our love for the Father. If we, if we read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. That's pretty much what John is referring to here. Man cannot juggle loving the world and loving the Father at the same time. I mean, as guys, we know how hard it is to do multiple things at once. God has not blessed us with that skill. We have to focus on one thing and get that done and then move on to the next. And it's, and it's hard, but John, here John is just trying to get through to the people that if you live a life where you abide in the world and love the things of the world, then you cannot love the Father and you cannot live for the Father. That's pretty much what he's saying. And, and constantly the world is trying to get the believers to join them. As I said earlier, there, there was a group that, that went away from their doctrine, from their stance. And they went away from what they believed in. And they're trying to come in and, and get these believers to go their way. So John tells them in verse 16 what the world uses. Now, when Satan is trying to get to you, he's going to use these three things that we read in verse 16. The lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's what he uses. And I read this, that Joshua Harris explains lust in this way. It is always a desire for the forbidden. Though lust longs for an object or a person, ultimately this object is not its price. Its goal is the very act of desiring. The result is that lust can never be quenched. As soon as the object of lust is attained, lust wants something more. The lust of the flesh in the most basic sense is the desires of the flesh. You see something that you want and you go after it. Then you reach it. What, what next? You see the next thing. And you go after it, and you reach it, and it just keeps going and going and going, and it never ends. That's what the lust of the flesh is. And Satan uses the eyes to introduce the lust of the flesh to man. You know, eyes are a precious gift from God, but, but they are the windows to the soul. They provide an easy way to the mind of man. Now, even on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus equates adultery with the lustful look. Nowadays, with our, our, our society just drenched in media, and everything that, that we want to see, is we see through our eyes, and that's how we get information. And we live in a world that, that just lives to see things. That's how we, we know, and, and Satan has, has been using that just to change the mindset and, and change the mind of young people everywhere. And it's, and it's just sad to see that. But we see the third thing here. And pride is never spoken in a positive way in Scripture. You know, the phrase here, uh, pride of life, if we look at the Greek translation, it says, Elizonia ha biel, which focuses on understanding to condemn pride and having and doing the things that the world deems important. Pride isn't what God deems important, it's what the world deems important. 
This pride is ultimately for the glorification of self. Whatever we do to raise ourselves up. Now if we turn back to Genesis chapter 3 and look at Eve's interaction with the serpent in the garden. We can see an example of Satan using all three of these things to fall into temptation. In verse 6 we see the woman saw that the tree was good for food. She wanted it. That's the lust of the flesh. That it was pleasant to the eyes. Lust of the eyes. To be desired to make one wise. That's the pride of life. John was trying to get across how Satan uses the eyes to introduce the things that will appeal to the flesh. And that, and that will bring a sense of pride in doing the wrong things. And at the end of the verse, he reiterates that these lusts have nothing to do with the Father. For they are not of him, but rather of the world and of the devil. Now we have a tendency at times to blame God for the problems we get into. You know, we go after the world and what the world offers. And then once we get into a rut and we can't get out, we start looking at God and question him. Why? Why, God? Why did you put me here? I thought you loved me. But here we are going after and chasing things that we want and then going to the next thing and the next and next and it never ends and yet we question God. But John is saying none of these things have anything to do with God. Let me tell you something. Everything that we do to get farther and farther ahead according to the world standard, we aren't even moving in the eyes of the Father. You know, the main reason as to why John wanted the people to love God was what we see in verse 17. John told the children to abide in the ways of, the, of, the, of God and not in the world because those who live for the world, they don't last. But the one doing the will of the Lord, he abides forever. Now, the heart of John's argument is given right here. The final verse it contrasts the outcome of two loves, two lives, and two orientations to life. It's either the world or it's God. You know, the world has so little to offer when compared to what the Father has in store. The world is trying so hard to move you off course and to move you from what God wants you to do with your life. And when we look out, like I said, the society has gone so downhill when we look out. And we, when we look at what the world has to offer, it looks as if there is so much that we, can, that we can gather. But I'm so thankful that God has so much more to offer. You know, I'm thankful that 2,000 years ago he sent his son to die on that cross that the world put him on. That we don't have to live a life that's controlled by lust of the flesh. We don't have to live under the rule of Satan in our lives. And John was just going through these points with, with these believers saying, you have that assurance in your life. You don't need to follow these different doctrines that people have here. Once you're saved and living under the will of the Father, that's the ultimate goal that you want, is to, what, is to do what the Father wants you to do. And he was trying to get them ready for that day that was approaching where this world system that they so loved would be done away. He, he, he links the believer's confession to faith by using he that doeth the will of God abideth forever to describe those who will be a part of God's eternal kingdom. You know, you live for the world, but nothing you do will continue with you. But you live in God's will, 
then there will be so much waiting on the other side. John is asking the believers to live the way that Jesus did by solely focused on doing the will of the Father. But, but what does this mean for us today? You know, the world we live in today is far worse than what John was dealing with. Everything that he describes in, this, in these verses can be applied to every Christian. We have a tendency as, as man to be allured by the things of the world, and that this is due to our sin nature. Now, Satan is trying to push us off the deep end, and he uses all of his techniques to do it. And he's flooded this world with, with lustful magazines and videos, and everywhere we, we turn, all we see is filth. And he's trying to use our eyes to get into our minds. And it may be when you're scrolling through Instagram or, or YouTube or, or reading a magazine, but friends, Satan is trying to push you farther away from God. Finding pleasure and satisfaction in the things of this world, not the perf perfect world that God created, but the twisted world created by sin. Even if you don't struggle with the lust of the flesh, we all have pride in our lives. When we get that special appreciation for, for singing in church or, or ministering, or you're given compliments by friends or family or church members and for the skill that you use so well that God gave you, all this goes just to boost our pride. These lusts of the world just show how much more we love the world than our Father. It's becoming harder and harder to live a life that is pure and focused on God. And, and living in this world and it moves us away from the will of God. You know, it, it may be that you have a great opportunity to serve at this church. You know, this is such a great church, Eastside Baptist Church. I, I've come to fall in love with it, and I've been, only been here for, for two weeks, and, and I love the people here. And it may be that you have the opportunity to just serve and, and to be a person that just serves in the church, but... But you start noticing that you need to get more hours at work. And you start going to work on Wednesday nights. And you're like, it's, it's fine. I'm only missing a couple Wednesday nights. And then soon your, your job, your boss tells you that he needs you on Sunday mornings. And you're like, I'm, I mean, it's only a couple Sundays out of the month. It shouldn't be too bad. And you start going on the Sunday shift. But... But now there isn't anyone to teach that Sunday school class that you were teaching. You, you left the post that God puts you in. The center of God's will is the best place you could be in the good times of life and the bad time of life. You know, the things of the world are going to pass away. They don't last very long. But if you're in the will of God, you will abide forever. Are you tied down to the world and the things of the world which are causing you to not be able to follow the will of God? You know, W.L. Moody said this, Some people are trying to live by faith as though they are paddling hard in a rowboat while all along their tie down is still fastened securely to the dock. He declared, They are tied to this world. Cut the cord. Set yourself free from the clogging weight of earthly things, and you will soon go on. Living under the will of God assures that you will have victory in the end. But it also means that there is going to be a lot of opposing forces trying to sway you. Now, I read this once. Victory is assured 
resistance is required. We're going to face so much resistance because of who we are and who we live for. And the world and its lusts take us away from God for the short period we are on this earth, and then they pass away. But I just want to leave you with this. If you focus on living in the will of God, then he has assured that we will abide forever. Lord, I just want to thank you for this opportunity and this time, Lord. And, and I just want to thank you for Josh's sermon, Lord, earlier and about stepping out in faith, Lord. And, and uh, Lord, I just pray that you may help each and every one of us to apply what we, we have heard today, Lord. And, and just to use that to better our lives, Lord, and, and to realize that we need to live under your will, Lord. And not for this world, Lord, but being in the center of your will is the best thing that we could do, Lord. And I pray that you may help us uh, tonight, Lord, as we respond. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.